0: Welcome to Hit for Six. It is uh, early morning, 17th of June. It's been a while, Michael, since we last recorded an episode. Um, So apologies to um, our legions of fans for for the wait, for the delay for this episode. But we're back to discuss England cricket, not doing quite so well, as well as we'd hoped, uh, and a few other things.
1: Michael, how are you? Yeah, I'm alright, Rob. Um, it's actually quite gratifying, isn't it? When you know, it's not been many people, but a few people have said to me, "What's going on with the podcast? I've missed listening to it. It's disappeared." I've had people asking for recommendations for other podcasts, and that's when I thought, right, it's uh, it, it sort of out. it's get back in the recording. But yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've enjoyed all the sun. Now it's now the sun's over. It's time to do podcasts again, right?
0: How about you? Yeah, I'm I'm well. I'm enjoying. Having the majority of our freedoms back, I was at a few days of England New Zealand at Lords. We were together. We saw each other for the first time in in well over a year at the T Twenty Middlesex Surrey at Lords, which was which was really nice. So um yeah, I'm I'm well under the circumstances, and I'm actually before we go any further, Chelsea have won the Champions League. Quinns are going to win the Premiership, I reckon at this rate. Marcus Smith pulling up trees. The only thing that's letting me down is the England cricket team. What were your thoughts on that um, most recent? Dis- defeats in New Zealand.
1: Well just quickly, I'm glad that's all we're going to say about Chelsea winning the Champions League, because you know, when our Chelsea podcast, I, I I've tried to block that out from my memory as quickly as it happened. So in the end. Um, um I was it was a weird one. Before the New Zealand Test series started, I was listening to another podcast, a great Cricketer, and they had a pundit on who I really rate, not really a pundit, a sports writer, Barney Ronay, and he was really going in hard on the fact that England weren't picking their strongest team. And we had all these debutants playing. Greg Cook was sort of making a joke. Oh, you know, you're only playing the world number one team in New Zealand. Why not try out all the youngsters? And Rene was going in really hard. And I was thinking, why, why is so negative? I'm really excited to see how Bracey does. I'm really excited to see, well, Ollie Robinson, really excited um, to see like these people get a chance. I'm excited about Dan Lawrence and, I thought, why do you have to be so negative? But actually then, you do play the best team in the world who are consistently playing at such a high standard and we just got completely steamrolled across the two tests. Got a very flattering draw in the first one and the second one just completely outplayed. Batting first on a decent batting like it, that's to be said. We almost lost by an innings. And I was saying to my housemate, I think I'm not too reactionary as a cricket fan, as a podcaster. I think, you know... I know the guys are playing, trying their best. They're not trying to lose. They're not trying to sc- not score any runs. But I was frustrated by the second test. I really was actually, um, and I did agree a bit with Hussein's rant afterwards that you know they're just they're ignoring how Test cricket's been played for quite a long time and sort of getting on with it in their own way, and it's not working. And you look at the averages of that batting lineup, and it is worrying going into a series with India, then the Ashes, and you've only got one batsman averaging about 40, another batsman averaging about 35, and then you've got Butler doing right, Burns doing okay, and the rest averaging 30 or under, and it's it's really boring. I, yeah, kind of like I said before this pod, I don't do rants. I guess that is a, a rant, like you said, Rob, but what, what do you think? I mean, the, the
0: batting was poor, really, really poor. I, I mean, Crawley, across those two test matches, was woefully bad. And that double hundred against Pakistan feels like a long, long time ago and slightly feels like a one-off. Um, I thought some of his dismissals would be on the pale. I was shocked at how out of his depth James Bracey looked. I yeah, thought, me too. Scored a lot of runs in a cricket. I mean, he, he looked really, really mediocre. Uh, even once he got off the mark in that second test, he then wasn't long before he was sort of sweeping one onto his stumps. So I was shocked at how poor he looked. Sibley... It's funny, I was talking to someone yesterday about this, how they say he's only got you know, a couple of shots, a you know, clip off his legs, and that's it, and he's got no scoring shots. So having seen him play even at Surrey and Warwickshire in the blast, and Surrey when he was younger, having played against him when I was a kid, he's got all the shots around the book. And I just think he needs to, he's almost trying to be so disciplined in a method that the problem is it puts massive pressure on him because he's got to score at least... 100 and, he's got to face at least 150 balls to get a score every time. And that's just a score, let alone 100. He's got to face sort of a minimum 200 balls to score 100. And at top level Test cricket with those kind of bowlers, there's good, good chance there's one on your name on it long before you face 200 balls. So he's got to pick up and back himself and play a few more scoring shots. And then you've got Pope. who's Honestly, I saw a comparison uh, on social media the other day comparing him to Graham Heck. He's going to be his who because bullies county cricket runs, but never quite delivers at the test level, even though he should. He's a bit young at the moment, I think, to be pulling out that comparison. But you know, he, he looks tiny enough. He's got a nice 20 or 20. And then, bang, he gets out. It's none of them really step up or have stepped up. And it's, yeah, it's just sad because there's, there's ability there. I like them and I
1: want them to do well. They're, they're just not doing it. I do feel a bit for Sibley. Because he came into the team very much under the in the role of you're going to bat time you're part of our new approach to batting long under Silverwood and like the opposite of the Bayless approach and you know you stay out there you do your role and you know quite a few of the pundits were praising him talking oh this is the return to proper test match batting and then does really frustrate me when Agnew uses his column Jonathan Agnew uses his BBC column to say. Sibley should be dropped. He's not got enough shots. But I like the look of Crawley. Let's put Crawley opening. It's like, have you watched Crawley this series? Obviously, everyone likes the look of Crawley. And you've talked about it in the past. And I've improved wrong a bit with that Pakistan double time, Rob. You know, there's clearly something about Crawley. But those dismissals in this series, like the wafts outside of Stump, he's, he's completely rattled in his head. And I know they like him because he'll be good for Australia and his games is Australia. But he really doesn't look in a good place right now. And I think it would be so hard to drop Sibley for him when Sibley at least scored a few few runs this series. Nudged his way to 60 in the first test. I agree with you, actually. I think he does need to let himself out of the box a little bit. But I do have sympathy that that has always been his role to back balls, a bit like Denley's role was. You saw in the second test, I think, actually, um, that Sibley did start to play a few more shots um, because the opening stand was decent, wasn't it? We all went downhill from there. But the opening stand was decent. He did quite a few off-drives four um, in that first innings in his 35. So I saw slight shoots of progress. Obviously not not great in the second innings. But can we talk, Should we talk something positive? Rory Burns? Yes.
0: Yeah, he was great, actually. I thought he batted very well. Apart from the horrible dismissal in the last innings, going for a big, booming cover drive off um, Trent Bolt very early on when the ball's nipping
1: about. Probably. You like overconfidence, didn't it? It's like he's in good nick and... So he just thought i play this shot. and But, but yeah, I, I was at Lord's for his 100s and I
0: thought that he really did bat very, very well. Uh, he looked comfortable and he looked good. And obviously then the 81 as well at Egbaston. For me, there's no question that he, he's cemented his place again at the top of the order. Who opens with him? I, I still would say Sibley personally, but... Uh, yeah, you still would? Yeah, I think I still would. Because at he, he, the very least, if he just, like he did in that Egbaston test, scores a 13 you know, gets a shine off the new ball that should pave the way then for that middle order to perform and score runs for Root to score 100.
1: Yeah. Let's get, let's get on to Root in a minute. I just want to quickly talk about Pope and Lawrence. because You spoke about Pope and how there's this comparison to Hick and how he does look comfortable and then he gets out. And it is really frustrating to watch, isn't it? Because he's got so much talent. He's got all the talent in the world. He makes it look really easy. And I do wonder if that's the issue. He finds counter cricket so easy. He averages 50 counter cricket, over 100 at the Oval in first class, which is just bonkers. Um, but he just seems to not really be willing or thought about changing his pace for tests. He races to 20 of 20 and then he'll get out playing a loose shot. And I just wonder if he needs to have a bit of a word with someone, a senior player. You know, you can take your time here. Take your time. Don't give it away. Build an in innings. Like He must know that. He must know I can take my time
0: here. Like, he's not an idiot. He knows the game last five days. He's seen other people do it.
1: But he's like, just not batting like it, is he?
0: The thing is, and it's such fine margins that that you know, eighty-five miles an hour it only needs to move a little bit. High standard, very little loose bowling to you know score your shots off, and it's just that kind of split-second decision. You just get it slightly wrong, snicked off, are oh, you out?
1: And I well, think that, it's just it's just frustrating though. Like BBC Sport always, oh, Ollie Pope's flying here, yeah. Ollie Pope, another boundary. It's like well, we all know what's going to happen next.
0: Yeah, basically, it is it is rather. Predictable because it's frustrating. I I, I think I, you've got to just say he's going to come good because surely he is. He's going to believe it's, it's got to work out in the end. But yeah, it was well. I used to say that about Lampard and Gerrard playing together in the midfield. I was like, they're good enough. They're going to work it out. They're going to be able to do it, and they never really did. So,
1: um... so, so assuming there's one spot left, when I mean, you've dropped Crawley, you so you've got Stokes and Butler coming back in, and. Presumably Crawley's getting dropped. If he doesn't and he goes in for simply, I'd be quite annoyed. But presumably Crawley's getting dropped, and then that leaves you one spot left to fill. And realistically, it's not going to be and Bird is safe. It's going to be Pope or Lawrence, isn't it? Yeah. So which would you be advocating for? I actually think I'd be advocating for Lawrence at the moment, but that's probably silly. I know Pope has unbelievable levels of natural talent. You're probably right. He is going to come good. There's something about Dan Lawrence, even though he does love getting a duck, that I just really, really, really enjoy watching. I think he's a scrapper. I think he's got a lot of grit and he's got different gears that he can quite quickly move into. Also, I find his technique fun to watch, even though it's quite painful at the same time. But yeah, well, how how would you land on that on that debate?
0: Well, hopefully they abandon the four seamers, no spinner with Roos as our spinner, approach. pro. Oh, please, my head in. Please. Chris Silverwood saying, "Oh, it's hard to balance the team, and we've got no uh, no all rounder." And you know, like, well, could always play Moine. <laughs> <laughs> could do. He's an all rounder. Than he's a spinner. But um, if they and if they go down that route, we do play seamers. Then Lawrence, obviously, with that spin option, it's not brilliant, but it's all right. Along with Root. Might oh, that was be. a good ball that was a good ball to yeah get. I know but he's, he's not going to like take five from the last ever test match building pressure
1: really.
0: yeah but he's, but, he, but he's an option he, he can bowl all right spin so I wonder if I wonder if you'd go with him if that was they were going to go with those four seamers and not and not play a, a spinner but if they mm. are presumably going to bring Leach back in with Stokes returning then then I'd go Pope
1: okay yeah. if it was just a choice of batsman you'd go Pope yeah, I think so. I think you just, you just got to back him. Fair enough. I, I, I can't get what you're saying. You know, stick with Pope. He's got the talent. He will come good. Um, that, That's fine. And that, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because normally you'd say, send him back to County Cricket, go score some runs, get some confidence. But you've now got months of the blast and the 100. And the only way they're going to have any place to get runs is second level in Cricket advertising themselves on Twitter like Hassan Azad, the Leicester show opener, did to get some high-level club cricket. Or in the India Test, it's <laughs> not a great place to go if you're low on confidence to try and get some runs in the bank. So it's a really tricky one, isn't it? And just finally on the batting, Bracey, I was really disappointed. And I've been talking him up to all my friends. And I said, you know, you look great in the warm-ups, um, the warm-up inter-squad game last summer and he's done well done well for Gloucestershire, but he just looked completely overruled by the occasion, didn't he? And I also felt for him, because keeping he was getting dissected, and he's not been keeping that long for Gloucestershire. I think I saw like only 15 first-class games. He's a top-order batsman, and I think he just looked completely alien in that seven-keeper position, and batting he did terribly. I was really sad to see it. I've never seen a cricketer look so close to crying as he did, I think, for his second duck. It's very sad. Yeah, it was. It was
0: um, some positives, though. I thought most of the seamers bowled pretty well. Uh, we'll start with Mr. Controversy, and we'll briefly touch on the tweets, but not for too long. Uh, but Ollie Robinson played well, didn't he? In that first test, thought he bowled really nicely.
1: He looked like a proper test cricketer, um, Like a proper test cricketer. And I know I'm being one of these awful people who just keeps talking about Australia, but he would I think mean, he'd be quite suited to Australia. My housemate said he reminded him of Stuart Clark, and I can kind of see it.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought he was. Um, He's quite spik- spiky character. He seems up for it. Do you know what I mean? Quite, quite not necessarily that quick, but he's a, a, an aggressive bowler. Got a bit of bite to
1: him, and it's, it's, his height helps as well. Like yeah. you don't have to be—you know—you only have to bowl about eighty-four, eighty-five of that kind of height to still be causing problems, still be uncomfortable. Well,
0: I mean, I I, I bowl with that kind of height 64, 65. and I—I tell you what, taken my my fair share of low-level club wickets, Michael. So. Wow. Um, but go on this quickly. Let's touch on the tweets. Um, obviously the tweets themselves, crass, racist jokes, not acceptable. But obviously the controversy of him being banned is because he was 18; he was a kid. Do you think
1: right for him to be suspended? And he should be have to be. Well, I just think I just think to be honest, people have piled onto this because people love a pile on and love getting angry about things. The government loves spotting an opportunity to get some fans by getting into fake or not fake culture wars.
0: Yeah, we love a culture war, don't we? Yeah, let's take it
1: They're just made up things anyway. Um, If you were in any job and you were found to have done something pretty bad, you would probably get lifted out of that job for a bit while they make a decision on what's going to happen. It's just a sensible thing to lift you out of the working environment um, and while they deliberate. That's literally all the ECB have done. I don't know if it had to be referred to as a suspension or a ban. Maybe that made it a bit more incendiary. But it made complete sense for him to be removed from the setup while they work out what to do. So, yeah, I was absolutely fine with him getting removed for the second test. I hope they aren't too harsh on him in terms of, like, I know you're going to mention Carberry's thing of, oh, he should never play again. I don't agree with that. I do think there needs to be some sort of punishment. And by punishment, I do mean some kind of a learning opportunity. Like, my perfect punishment for him would be 100 hours community or voluntary service with some sort of a charity or a museum that specifically focuses on racial inequality, gender inequality, that sort of thing. So he actually learns a bit because that would be something that would actually be a positive change. Um, and it would still be, you know, he still has to do the hundred hours. So I think that that's how I would see it. And also the only other thing I would say is I play it very carefully, advising England about reintegrating him. Because there are going to be non-white members of the team who are going to potentially have issues. With what he said, I know he's played to Joffre Archer for a long time, but this is before this emerged. I think you do need to talk to players like Maureen, like Joffre, who he may be playing in the same team as, and just kind of smooth that um, and make sure everything's good. And I think that's worth considering, and I'm sure the ECB will. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm on it. I also think the senior players might have gone away with it a bit because I know there are some tweets that have emerged from different big names like our vice captain, our record wicket taker, like among others. Um, and I'm not sure what's going to happen with them. But if I was an England, player, England player, I'd be looking at my Twitter and clearing it up pretty rapidly. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because so the James Anderson one in particular,
0: I remember that. Yeah, and I, I, there is something about how maybe cultural attitudes have shifted. In the space of one a player's career, that what ten years ago, saying that Stuart Broad looked like a fifteen-year-old lesbian, or there was all that stuff in Australia. They kept putting up Joe Root next to Ellen DeGeneres, TV channels saying that he looked like Ellen DeGeneres. Stuff like that. That now probably, well, it yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be deemed acceptable. But how do you how do you judge those quote-unquote crimes? They're not obviously literally criminal acts, but those inappropriate tweets. Is it fair to judge them against a the standard now when even t- when 10 years ago, I- everyone read them and no one battered an eyelid? I, I think it poses
1: interesting interesting questions. What do you think about that? I think fundamentally, cricket is a sport which has its fair share of demons in terms of racial inequality, in terms of gender inequality. And you see it rear its head fairly often. You see it with Azim Rafiq at Yorkshire. You see it with Rory Bird's tweet towards Alex Hartley um, you know, you see these things pop up. It's not a fixed sport. It has its issues. Um, and I think the ECB has to be really on the front foot with stuff like this. They have to be on the front foot. They have to show where they stand and they have to enforce it. I don't want them to enforce it too harshly that a player's career ends over tweets he did 10 years ago. That wouldn't be fair. But I do think they have to be pretty proactive um, to try and make the sport as inclusive a place for everyone.
0: So by that logic then, James Anderson,
1: Joss Butler? I think they should probably, if they should be probably getting the same treatment as him. Like, yeah, I have kind of thought that. Like, I mean, it'd be screwed for India. Don't get me wrong. But if they, if there's a culture there that needs addressing, then it does. Like Barney Rene again. is tweeting about this, that on the 2017 tour to India, and I'm not going to do the impressions because... More than my life's worth, but basically, the England cricket team had a joke going throughout the series, impersonating Indian journalists, and that's Josh Butler, that's Anderson, that's all the senior members, and they were impersonating them in a derogatory manner, and they were doing it in press conferences. It was clearly a team-in joke, and you're right. Again, things have shifted in four years. Maybe that was acceptable then, and now it's not. But I still think you have to address this stuff a bit. You know, um, and if Anderson's going to come out and talk the talk about how we have to learn and we're going to learn all of this, well, then maybe, you know, if he's done stuff, then he should probably also have to go and do some community service, you know, just because he's older and much more experienced and established, why should he get treated differently to Ollie Robinson? That, that's why I agree with you.
0: I think it'd be, it's completely unfair to throw Ollie Robinson under the bus and then leave others who've done, he may be, I think the only thing for him was like multiple tweets. So James Anderson, it was sort of what initially come to like that one the broad comment uh, and with Butler, I think it was um, McCullum as, as well. Taking the mick out of Indian cricket fans and your cricket commentators on, um, on Twitter were kind of slightly more isolated incidents, one, a one-off. From, I mean, was it Robinson-Oakers four or five? That's the only difference. Otherwise, they're all pretty similar. For me, I think I just take a slightly softer view on punishment, wrongly or rightly. I, you know, I think time, context... Um, the fact people make mistakes, um, I think. I don't
1: think it's punishment to do voluntary community stuff. I really don't.
0: Oh I mean, no, I know, but I but I think suspending someone from playing international cricket, um, so they can't build on their excellent debut, slightly publicly shaming them in the process is a punishment. Maybe should but have been bad. able to play in that contest. For, for me, um, yeah, I I, I think he's only 17 or 18. I mean that is you can I've. I probably haven't changed a huge amount actually since I was 18, but I was probably an all right 18 year old, but I've got a lot of mates who've changed a lot since they were 18 and significantly for the better. Exactly the same with him. And I think there's already probably enough punishment in the, the public shaming, the ruling of the biggest day of his life that I, I think I would have taken a slightly more softer view and, and yeah, let him play uh, and not, nothing more than kind of a uh, watch I'm, it. I'm pretty confident he'll play in the India series. So I don't think problem, okay. I don't if think it's it, okay. I'm not. By the way, to say that's what I would have done. I'm not actually too. Well, I'm not remotely uncomfortable with what the ECB have decided to do. I think it makes sense. I like your idea of the community service. It reminds me of, you know, Chelsea take um, fans have made anti-Semitic comments and taken some of them to Auschwitz as a learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, what they said has been really beneficial, and people seem to have responded very well to. So I think, you know, I, I like a lot of the ideas you said, Michael. And I think there's a, a lot of. Integrity and consistency, but I, I think I personally would have said, look, he's 18. That's not—it's not been done while he's employed by us. It's not even done within a couple of years of what happened. Mm. I think I just would have been more lenient. But- to be honest,
1: actually, I actually think Craig Overton should be under first more scrutiny than any of this. I read a really interesting piece with a wisdom in Wisdom um, magazine online the other day, and it was with a journalist. And I saw it because the journalist tweeted saying, "I've always been uncomfortable." With lauding Craig Overton's stats in first class cricket, when I compare it to what he was accused of saying a few years ago in a counter cricket match. He was accused of saying something pretty, you know, pretty dodgy, um, to do with race. And so he had this interview with Craig Overton, and I was thinking and, and so the, and their the tweet is so I asked her about it. And so I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I'm gonna read this. Hopefully, Craig Overton kind of clears this all up a bit. And basically the piece was, yeah. I don't recall saying that. I'm not the sort of person who would say that. And there were witnesses. And I think actually, you know, only Robinson did this stuff 10 years ago, and these were tweets from an 18-year-old. Craig Overton did this a few years ago while playing, still hasn't apologised, still says he didn't say it. And yeah, maybe he didn't say it. But to me, actually, there should be more focus on that. There should be more focus on this guy who's about to like to play for England again and got accused of this thing. There were witnesses, the umpires the umpire said it, heard it as well. Like, and nothing's really happened and he still said he didn't say it and he still kind of i think in the article the one thing he said was yeah i've learned a bit from it and you know I've, i'm changing and i'm i've learned there's things you can't say and stuff like that but there wasn't really any contrition in the piece i read and yeah not even
0: was, slightly i've learned those things i can't say it's not the same as i'm really sorry for what i said or, yeah i mean it's like oh yeah you're not allowed to say that anymore
1: you know you get in trouble I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't say it rather than you're not allowed to say it there's no, he's it, like, there's a I've there's a line, all of this stuff. And it sounded like I was listening to bloody Australia. <laughs> and anyway, that for me, actually, there's there's more, there's, there should be more of a push on that. Um, and I think the Guardian did want a piece, say England braced for further scrutiny if they pick Overton. I was like, yeah, they should be. Yeah, well, I, and I think that's just a final comment on this, is that
0: was, that's the other frustration where I felt sorry, for Lee Robinson. I mean, there's a question over who has deliberately gone and dug up these tweets and shared them on the day of his debut. Fine, good they came to light and, and whatever. But I don't know quite what's motivating you to, to do that and on that particular day. Could it have been done at the end of the month? Could it have been done on day two? Could it have been done a couple of days before the test? So it felt like someone had them in their back pocket and somebody didn't like him. And on the day of his, biggest day of his career, biggest moment of his life so far, let's make it the worst day of his life. There was something about that I wasn't too comfortable with. But my, my real point is that, therefore, the ECB only reacted once. There'd been a bit of a storm, a bit of a hoo-ha about it. And as you said, you've got this kind of Craig Overton thing simmering, simmering along in the background, nothing really being done. You've got this, the press conference stuff you mentioned in 2017 in India are fine. But if there was a big campaign, multiple newspapers, a press, you, know, gro- you really get those kind of news reports. Growing pressure, growing calls, pressures increasing on the ECB. Once that kind of media momentum starts building up, it's then that they kind of then act to look like they're doing the right thing.
1: Like, I think, I think the Yorkshire case with Azim Afriq is a really good example of that because the ECP aren't being that proactive while this has been going on low level in the background. And by the sounds of it, Yorkshire are doing a dodgy investigation. It sounds like they're really not doing a free and fair investigation, and it's been going on. And in, Azim in Afriq's been still been talking, and that is where you want your governing body to be really proactive. And if Yorkshire aren't doing the proper thing with a proper investigation and a proper you know, review, overhaul, whatever, of whatever's been going wrong at Yorkshire, where well, clearly something has. That's where the ECB needs to be more proactive rather than, like you said, being reactionary.
0: So I agree. Internal investigations are difficult, though, because you're always going to be accused of taking the, the side of the institution. You've seen it re- you know, recently with some of the internal investigations the BBC have done, for, for one example, and there's immediate, like, oh, well, the guy did the review, work for the BBC. Um, so if it have been completely independent then,
1: well, I think the point is that it should be an independent thing at Yorkshire, and it's not really.
0: Yeah.
1: but um, you, Should we quickly talk about the rest of the seamers? Um, Broad ended his run of five tests without a wicket, bowled pretty well in the second test. You know, he bowled well in the first test for no rewards. Like, you know, he's still doing it. Would I think I'm a little bit worried about when he's not bowling 90, he's quite easy. Like, he's obviously he's capable of bowling his absolute rockets. But when his pace drops, he doesn't. He doesn't seem it a lot. He doesn't swing it. He, he does try stuff like experimenting where he's coming in on the crease and stuff. But I'm a little bit worried. I, I saw his stat, which is quite damning. I think he's only taken more than three wickets, like three times in his test career. Um, Or is it even like he's only taken four three wicket hauls? Something like that, which really wasn't great. Ollie Stone, I think, ball pretty well and if we could catch him, done better. Do you think the reason they've been playing all seamers and those spinners is because they don't rate Jack Leach, or do you think it's because they want to try out all these seamers for the Ashes? Which way do you think it is? I think it's because they don't rate
0: Jack Leach, and it's mental, absolutely mental. Pick a spinner. Best, I, I think it's, it, selection is ridiculous. Boycott always used to say, if, four, "If three seamers can't do it, four seamers won't," and he's kind of right. It's super frustrating. And if it was a whole balance of the side thing, which kind of Chris Silver would alluded to, then pick Marine. I don't care where else he's playing at the moment; he's been doing you know, kind of T20 franchise kind of stuff, like ship him in, he's England test match, and play him if you want a spinner, but also one of all-rounder, because he's perfectly good. But I just thought to not play a spinner was, was it just didn't help us at all. I thought they looked better, even though, obviously, most of their wickets were taken by Seamus. I think both the spinners they played, Santan and then Patel, I, I just think it, more balanced their attack, hold up an end, rotate the Seamers from the top end. Classic stuff, it was classic test match stuff, and instead we just had, like, basically jobbing medium paces, uh, well, they're better than jobbing and they're quite fast for medium patience,
1: but you know what I mean. I think um, also it's because they can't drop Broaden Anderson. They can't rotate Braden Anderson out because of the power they have. And it's actually a really interesting discussion to be had here about how the selection's changed, how Ed Smith's been removed. It's now sitting with Chris Hill and Joe Root, and they are much more susceptible to dressing and pressure. And that was the one good thing about Smith. You know, he made some dodgy calls, but at least he was independent. And I'm a little bit worried now that Broad and Anderson are just never, ever not going to play. And they're clearly wanting to try out these other seamers, but that means they've got to play four seamers because they've also got to include Broad and Anderson. I think it's a bit of a mess, to be honest.
0: No, I, I, I think you're right. It was, I wasn't happy with that with that selection. Um, quickly then, before um, I dash to get a train to actually go and play some cricket myself, what do, you, um, what do you think about the World Test Championship? Who's going to win it? India or New Zealand?
1: I'm quite worried it's going to be a draw because I think rain is forecast at the Rose Bowl for a lot of the week, which would be really sad. And I don't know what they do. Will they just replay it, or they just call it a tie. I don't know. I really hope New Zealand win it. I think New Zealand will win it if it goes to five days because I know England's test team is insane, as we've all seen. But I just <clears throat> this New Zealand test team is so complete. They've had some practice playing in England. They're play a few of their players are doing playing counter cricket. I think they're really well set. Kane Williamson's average against quite a few of these Indian bowlers is a bit lower than he'd like, so maybe that's a bit of a worry. But no, my, I'm back in New Zealand. Come on, boys! How about yourself?
0: Well, I've just stumbled on BBC Sport, uh, a poll who will win the, in- the World Test Championship: India and New Zealand? Draw. I've cast my votes for New Zealand, and there, yeah, fifty-six percent of people think New Zealand will win. I think they will. I think the benefit of playing two, co- com- although we weren't great, competitive Test matches. In England, against us, means they're just a little bit fresher, more prepared. I think mean, they look dead solid at the top of the order with um, Latham and Conway. Great, uh, middle of, great middle order, great middle order Williamson Taylor, although Taylor's obviously been struggling a bit. Uh, and I just think the bowlers to take take wickets and take lots of wickets. I think if it was happening in another part of the world, you'd like to think that India in probably would win it. But I think in England, given they've just been playing, given the quality of their side, the balance of their side, yeah, I think I think it's New Zealand to lose really, uh, and I.
1: On the weather, they win. tomorrow is going to be a washout. Saturday, there'll be play. Sunday, rain for a fair bit of the day. Monday, rain for a fair bit of the day. So I think a draw could be quite a canny, don't, canny bet.
0: Don't they have... Um, I thought they had reserve days. I hope so. I don't know. I mean, they should do, because it'd be safe. So, I mean, that would be classic. So doesn't playing in England, to be honest.
1: I was thinking that. How have England managed to wangle this with our weather <laughs> I mean.
0: Yeah, it's it's this kind of inconsistent, because to be fair, I was playing yesterday, it was baking, it was a lovely day. This whole thing that weather's always crap in England isn't true. Like, yesterday was not bad weather, it was nice, it was a very nice day, it was a very warm day.
1: No, but it is funny that two and a half weeks of beautiful sunshine has to be followed up by a week of rain, a week and a half of rain.
0: Well, I was about to say, they're not quite playing overlapping with Wimbledon, but that would be putting a right curse on it, because it always seems to rain at Wimbledon. Um, But, anyway.
1: Sounds about right. I'm, I'm watching some uh, T20 blast tonight, and I may see Mr. Robinson, so I'll try and get a hit for six scoop.
0: You can tell him that I'm... I, I, I do feel for him. Not excusing the tweets
1: at all, but... i to just a field ball on the boundary. Rolly, Ollie, my co-host feels for you. I want you to do 100 hours of community service. What do you think on that? I think I'd get a really detailed, in-depth response, actually.
0: I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. Here we are, hit for six, half of the culture war. Well, Michael... It's been great to be back, to be speaking to you. Um, I hope you have a, a good day and a good rest of the week. And we'll catch you up again probably in about a week week's time or so. Yeah, good luck for your cricket. Thanks, mate. Will do. All the best.